This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by K's. Remember, whether it's lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge, stop by K's. They're waiting for you. What a great place. I love K's. has such a good vibe to it. I'll tell you, David and John run such a good operation, and you have Faye behind the bar. Don't forget Faye behind the bar. Danny in the kitchen. You know what makes a great gift is a gift certificate from K's. But you have Jessica and Nicole and Kim always greet you with a smile, or Allison, or Mandy, or Donna, or Kathy. K's, try the steak sandwich, or try, you know, the pastrami is delicious. I love the turkey. The roast turkey is great. And the lobster salad is probably the best in New England. But stop in, whether it's lunch, dinner. I like to say lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge. There's always a good crowd there. And uh, it is truly just a unique place. Stop by K's right there on Cass Ave across from CVS. And you're listening to the John DePietro Show. This portion of our program is brought to you by K's. Remember, whether it's lunch, well, right now, remember, you can order takeout from K's right there on Cass Ave. Uh, Order takeout. Support K's. Well, folks, let's bring him on. He is our legal expert and say hello to Tim Dodd. Hello, Tim Dodd. Hey, John. How are you? Very well. Tim, I want to start off, uh, obviously, uh, very unusual times. Uh, but let's just start off with some, some basic things, such as how your life has been impacted and the implications, the fact that the, the states, the courts have been closed. Well, it, it's very obviously disrupting for everybody, but my practice in particular, I'm basically a litigator and in courtrooms every day. So life is much different uh, because there's virtually no courts. I've been on a few specific matters which the court is still allowing to proceed. I recently had to arraign a gentleman who was charged with a domestic assault. That's one of the categories um, that the courts remain open for. There's a very limited menu of cases that the courts will consider. So my days are spent many mornings all day in courtrooms going from court to court. Um, That's all getting pushed back. Um, I've got matters that have been rescheduled to the end of April, to the beginning of May. Um, The courts are going to be closed at least until April 17th. That's the latest we've received from uh, Chief Justice uh, Sattel in the Rhode Island Supreme Court. That's subject to change, John. That could get pushed back further. Um, It's difficult when you go to any of these courthouses, the the Capitol Police want to know what you're doing there. Do you have a case on? They don't want the public in there any more than necessary. If you've got a litigant going in with you, a defendant or any litigant, um, they don't want the whole family coming in. They just want the necessary people going into the courthouse. So it's, it's a very restrictive environment. And for those of us who are used to being in courtrooms, um, it's just not part of our daily experience anymore for the foreseeable future. Um, it's given me lots of time to catch up on paperwork, I can tell you that. Tim, do you think, uh, could this move into some sort of, um, I mean, I think education going forward is forever going to be impacted. We're seeing, you know, the virtual learning online. Do you think, could this start to affect 
uh, courtrooms and maybe there'd be more of people you're Skyped in with the judge. Uh, I rec- recognize it's difficult for documents and things like that, but but just at some point, the, the courts can't remain shut. So do, do you hear any, it, does there, is there anyone, any uh, system in the country or the world that, that operates more of like, like a virtual courtroom? Well, I know in Massachusetts, by way of comparison, there are many um, court appearances here in Rhode Island that uh, counsel for the plaintiff, counsel for the defense, or you know, counsel for the state and counsel for a defendant meet with the court in chambers or in the courtroom. Massachusetts, many of these pretrial uh, hearings or conferences are done telephonically. And I would expect that in the future, there'll be much more um, telephonic communication, conference calls uh, between counsel and the court. Um, It would avoid the necessity of driving to the courtroom, parking, going in and, you know, assembling people there live. I think there are certain advantages to meeting live versus doing things telephonically or Skyping. Um, already in the courts for many um, hearings involving uh, individuals who are at the ACI, the court is set up in uh, Providence Superior Court, courtroom nine. Uh, there's a lot of video conferencing that's done. The, the defendant remains at the prison. As his case, his or her case is called, they stand before a podium. They're video conferenced in with the court. Um, and business is taken care of that way. It, it avoids lots of transportation issues, um, moving prisoners in and out of the actual prison buildings, et cetera, keeping them in the holding cell at the courthouse. That's already being done. But I, I agree with you. I think this is going to open a lot of eyes that things could be done more efficiently without human-to-human contact live versus doing things by alternate means, um, emailing, uh, conference calling, that looks like it's going to be a big part of our future. Folks, uh, we're speaking with Tim Dodd, our legal expert. Tim, I want to turn There's some unique cases as a result of this. One of them is playing out in uh, the largest city, and that is there's this seemingly battle going on where you have the mayor of New York, Mayor de Blasio, who keeps uh, I don't know how you want to say it, threatening, warning that the city may move into a uh, uh, shelter in place. And then you have Governor Cuomo, who keeps pushing back, saying, you know, he doesn't. The mayor does not have the authority to do that in New York City. Now, San Francisco is apparently on full lockdown. And obviously, we're seeing what's going on in Italy. But if you wouldn't mind just touching on Cuomo seems to be saying just from a legal standpoint, the mayor doesn't have the authority to do that i believe cuomo is correct there's a difference right now in san francisco and the surrounding counties there's been an agreement and a coordination between the mayors um, and the governor uh, uh, gavin newsom to effectuate this um, shelter in place directive so san francisco and all the oakland uh, san mateo all the surrounding areas are all coordinated
This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by J.K.L. Engineering. Whether it's heating or cooling, you can depend on J.K.L. Engineering. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Call them today at 401-351-7600. Listen, we still have a number of months ahead. You're going to need the heat. We don't know what's going to happen. March can still be chilly. April can still be obviously chilly. The heating season. Let J.K.L. Engineering design and install a natural gas high efficiency carrier infinity system the energy efficient they're quiet more affordable than you think if you're saying no gas guess what no problem let jkl engineering design and install a high efficiency heat pump system including ductless splits heats in the winter cools in the summer these units are so efficient it can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90% highest rebates in the market and they also do new installation and replacement of high-efficiency gas boilers. JKL, Carrier Factory, authorized dealer, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. You know, for over 53 years, JKL's reputation, second to none. Technical expertise, customer satisfaction. JKL is an approved National Grid VPI installer. Call JKL Engineering today. Remember, estimates are free. Financing is available for both residential and commercial. Call JKL for a system replacement, oil to gas, for a heat pump. They're going to do it right. They're going to do it right the first time. And remember, with JKL Engineering, they'll keep it nice and cool in the summertime and nice and warm in the wintertime. Central Air is a life changer. Central Air is a game changer. And right now, estimates are free. Financing is available. Licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, the original, the best, JKL Engineering. Call them 401-351-7600. 401-351-7600 for JKL Engineering. Just he can't um, implement on his own. Now, when Governor Cuomo said, you can't do that, Mayor, uh, the mayor fires back saying, well, there's a difference between a quarantine and a suggestion to do a shelter in place. The governor fires back, says, no, it's the same thing. You're parsing words, but it's the same implication. New York cannot act unilaterally without the state's um, um, agreement. I, I think Governor Cuomo is correct, and I think that uh, Mayor de Blasio um, should think before he speaks. Um, he can't do what he's suggesting to shut down New York, which is basically the nerve center of commerce in this country, um, to close it down. What's he going to do? Close down the stock market? What's he going to do? Close down banks? It, it's... He's speaking without really thinking about the implications of what he's looking to effectuate. Further, the mayor's got a little bit of a credibility problem. He shuts down businesses. He shuts down restaurants. He shuts down all the gyms. But there was video of him a couple of days ago, despite the shutdown. He feels he's entitled to go to the gym with his security detail and work out why the city can't do the same thing. So... He's a do as I say, not, do as I say, not as I do kind of mayor. And um, he's been in a battle over many issues with the governor. Um, they don't see eye to eye frequently. And I think um, for the moment, 
uh, Governor Cuomo has the right side of the issue. Yeah. And Tim, in a lot of the arguments, uh, Governor Cuomo and again, both Democrats, but he's saying, well, you're going to make the matters worse. Where are these people going to go? What if they start to flee the city? Uh, Then you just invite, you know, more trouble. So now um, what about Tim? Uh, We're seeing more and more instances. I know there was a story in the Providence Journal. Mayor Lors is cracking down on businesses and there were a couple of isolated incidents. I think that, you know, there's a story, Kid Rock, who has a bar, I think in Nashville, they're defying it. We're staying open. Um, right now, it's interesting. I, I don't know if there's laws on the books, but obviously if if, if uh, government are feeling they can crack down and order these people to close, what what is the provision that they could use? Is it a like a public health matter? Well, yeah, there's emergency um, powers that governors have um, in the in the face of something catastrophic, such as, you know, a terrorist attack, um, you know, natural disasters and this, which is, I'm not sure if it's a natural disaster, but it's, it's not man-made. This is a, um, a um, illness that's uh, communicated from person to person and governors do have some inherent power uh, if they invoke emergency provisions, which which vary by state to state, to shut businesses down. Um, right now, the mayor in Providence is suggesting that there'll be um, penalties or punishments against the businesses that have been defying um, his um, edict or his order. Uh, there were a few bars, <laughs> there was a strip joint, uh, which uh, in the last day or so got... Um, busted, if you will, for remaining open in defiance of the um, ban on bars and restaurants staying open. Um, What's the sanction? What's the penalty that can be imposed? That's yet to be determined. I mean, John, we're in so many uh, brave new world areas, which we've never experienced as a society before. Um, And if Kid Rock's got a bar open, I'm not sure exactly what the executive authority is or what the penalty provisions are for defying it. Um, the same is true in Rhode Island. I'm not sure what the mayor can actually do. Um, this creates many issues, and I don't want to leave this topic, but for instance, dental practices have been told shut down. Um, hair salons shut down. Um, many businesses, bars and restaurants, shut down. Let's assume you're a business that has, um, if you're smart and proactive and you've had in place business interruption insurance, when and how can you avail yourself of the insurance coverages that you've been paying for? Most typically, let's assume that your um, office building where you work has a catastrophic fire and now you've been displaced, you've got to set up your business in an alternate location, you've got to find alternate space, you've got to get a new phone system, you've got to get new computers, Um, you might have an interruption in your income. That's all part of the normal business interruption insurance that typical businesses would have. What if it's a voluntary obligation, not a, a you're in a gray area. Are you voluntarily shutting down? Is it an enforceable order from a governor or any government that you must shut down? Um, I can foresee there's going to be many claims made under business interruption policies saying, hey, I've been put out of business. I can't run my restaurant because the 
government has shut us down. Uh, there's going to be tremendous claims filed. Um, the question is, is what you're doing as a result of um, an order or are you doing it voluntarily? If you're voluntarily shutting down your business, could you um, tap your business interruption policy? I've got a business interruption policy. My office still remains open right now. If I was to voluntarily shut down and say, well, guess what, insurance company, pay me, I, I think I'd have a fight on my hands. I don't think the insurance companies are going to be writing checks um, easily. Um, it, 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 again, we're in the brave new world. This is not like anything we've ever seen. And most business interruption policies, I'm sure, have never contemplated in any of their languages of what's covered and what's excluded anything remotely like we're, what we're experiencing right now. I think you're right, Tim. And, you know, you wonder how many businesses have, and I would say, now, you know, pandemic insurance. I saw a story where a man was saying, I have insurance for his business in case of a hurricane, in case of a flood. But then when he contacted his insurance company, he did, they said, oh, no, you're not covered. You don't have a policy for pandemic, which I, I, I didn't, you know, a lot of them are saying, I didn't even know there was an option that I I could get. This portion of the John DePietro show is brought by Henry Oil since 1947. What a Rhode Island success story. Folks, call them today, 401 521 Henry Oil. It's Carmine, it's Lori. As I said, since 1947, full service fuel company, fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery, 24-hour burner service for contracted regular customers. They have oil burner service and installation, automatic delivery, budget plans, lock and cap pricing, serving most of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200, reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery. It's Henry Oil, residential and commercial fuel oil delivery. Go with a local company that you can support and depend on. Henry Oil in 1947. It was Carmine Henry DeSanto. Delivered that fuel oil with a single truck operation from his gas station on Manton Avenue in Providence. And now the tradition continues. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery serving Rhode Island and parts of Mass since 1947. Call my friends at Henry Oil today. 401-521-0200. 401-521-0200. You can also, as I mentioned, check out their website. It's henryoil.com. henryoil.com. Take advantage of the lock and cap pricing or the oil burner service and installation or their automatic delivery or their budget plans, full-service fuel company that you can depend on, Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, 401-521-0200, online at henryoil.com. So um, I want to move, jump on something else. Again, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's John DePietro with our legal expert, Tim Dodd. Tim, now staying on that same topic, but I also want to go into uh, virus shutdown issues like uh, lease and loan defaults, evictions, 
And as we were saying, the business interruption, I was watching a segment and um, the person was saying that what we're really going to know is at the end of the month, when April 1st rolls around, you already hear uh, some political leaders talking about uh, evictions and you can't evict people. Everyone's going to be in the same boat. Um, If you could touch on that, what could maybe the government do? I mean, suddenly you're going to have people that just in the blink of an eye, their restaurant was shut. They are out of work. They don't have money for their mortgage. They don't have money for their rent. Um, they're going to be, you know, be asking the landlords. Um, if you could touch on some of the legal aspects of that. Yes, the, there's a, a lot of play right now that um, in the news that the president has um, made an executive order prohibiting foreclosures and evictions. So you read the headline and you say, oh, no more foreclosures, no more evictions. That executive order only applies to FHA loans or HUD-backed affordable housing type loans. So let's assume you've got a RIMFAC loan or something that's um, underwritten by HUD and you know, you're a first-time buyer, somewhat of a low-income person. You can't pay your mortgage. Um, in those situations, you cannot be foreclosed upon. Um, you can't be evicted even if you uh, had a foreclosure proceeding that had been commenced against you. So you, as the low-income, first-time HUD-backed borrower, could not be evicted. What the president did does not apply to other types of evictions or foreclosures. Let's assume that you own a multifamily um, house and you paid cash for it. There's no government loans involved or things of that nature. So you're the landlord and all of your tenants suddenly can't pay their rent, Um, the president's executive order does not apply to you. However, let's assume you said, I'm not getting my rents. Okay, tenant in apartment one, I'm going to evict you. Tenant in apartment two, I'm going to evict you. That's a nice idea, but you can't get into the courthouse right now because um, under the executive order from the Rhode Island court system, at least here, um, evictions start in the district court. And only emergency matters can be heard in the district court. The matters that can be heard, John, involve things like domestic restraining orders or um, violations on the criminal side. If you're a person who's out either on probation or on bail and you violate, you can be brought in for an immediate hearing on that type of criminal matter. Um, Evictions are not considered an emergency matter. So if you want to evict somebody, you're never going to get into the courtroom at least at the earliest, April 17th, and it will probably be sometime thereafter. So you're a landlord. Maybe you've got a private mortgage. Maybe you've got a mortgage that's not backed by HUD. There's no provision that would right now stop you if you can't, if you're relying on rents to make your mortgage payment and the rents stop coming in, um, you could have legal action taken against you by your bank or by your private lender. Um, You could move to evict your tenants, but the whole system is log jammed right now. You can't get into a courtroom to effectuate any of these things. 
And if somebody wanted to foreclose, um, that would be difficult as well, because if you go into superior court uh, for any reason, that's not considered an emergency hearing. But people who just read the headlines, you know, tenants living in so-and-so's apartment building might say, hey, I'm off the hook. I don't have to pay my rent for a while, even if they can. And if they can't, they might just say, well, I can't pay. What are you going to do to me? Mm. It's And if this goes on for more than, you know, 30, 45, 60 days, it's going to become very problematic for, for landlords and for tenants. It's going to be a huge problem. Um, access to the court right now is so limited. There's no jury trials. Um, there's no divorce hearings going forward. In family court, you can only go in on an emergency restraining order. You know, if something was going on, like one spouse was threatening to take a child out of state permanently, or if there's domestic abuse, but there's a very limited, narrow category of cases that the courts are open for. So everyone's stuck. Literally, everyone's stuck. You can't really do anything. Uh, It's creating cash flow issues. Um, Folks are being laid off. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their mortgage. It's becoming it's going to become a problem that this snowballs into something larger if we don't do something quickly. Tim, it's interesting. And again, folks, you're listening to the John DePietro show with our legal expert uh, attorney, Tim Dodd. It's interesting how much the courts do affect that people take for granted because they, most of the time, most people don't have to go to court or attend court or have a hearing or anything. But I'm just thinking of the old people's court, Doug Llewellyn at the end, you say, and remember if someone does something, take them to court. Well, what do you do these things? If someone just says, fine, take me to court. And then, and there is no, there is no court. And Tim, I'm not sure based on the current climate. I mean, if there's no going out to a restaurant and there's no going to school and there's no gatherings of more than 10 people, I, I don't see how, how do you have people sitting, jur- who would, how do you have people report for jury duty? How do you have any type of, uh, I mean, and you know, as you're in court, most of the time, you're in and out of court. There's people, all different kinds of people. Uh, there are people sitting there waiting for their cases to be called. Is There's a lot of uh, people in and out. It's just not a matter. Some people may not realize it's it's just certainly not the judge and the the two attorneys. It's constant people in and out. Yep, and and it, that whole system, all of that economic activity, all of the money changing hands between lawyers. It's John DePietro. We're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. This portion of the program brought to you by K's. Remember, K's. Their food is delicious. Why not get some K's takeout? And we're touching on right now, Tim is talking about the situation with the court system and how the courts have been shut down. And it is definitely a problem right now. And with with really, uh, unless... Yep. And Tim, not only that, is there any uh, talk? I mean, maybe not right away. But this certainly sounds like they're going to have to move into some kind of um, virtual by use of cameras. I know that many times, like an inmate, sometimes they have them appear on the screen. It seems like maybe there could be more of that. We're really not set up for it. But certainly, um, you know, if the courts are essentially closed, at least until the 17th, hopefully they can get some, you know, 
someone smarter than maybe you or I with IT issues and technology issues to get um, that sort of thing moving. Um, it's going to be very difficult to retool and get ready for anything like what you're suggesting in the short term. It might be a long-term solution, but I, I don't think there's much of an opportunity within the existing court structure and the available technology to do what you're suggesting. And Tim, you're saying the courts are closed till April 17th. And you think of just in your daily attorney's routine, uh, that means people are not stopping off. Uh, attorneys normally go to court for coffee. That means people that eat around the restaurants, around the courthouse, well, they're closed anyway. But parking garages that depend on that. It's amazing the domino effect when something like that closes. Well, it's, it's also... Uh, if you owe money to somebody, you can say, oh, guess what? I'm not paying because you can't take me to court. Um, you know, divorces aren't moving forward. Um, criminal matters right. aren't moving forward. You might get arraigned on something, mm -hmm. but your system's going to move very slowly through the system. Um, so people might start gaming the system, seeing what they can get away with, which will not be helpful for anyone, for whatever side of an issue you're on. Plaintiff, defendant, person who owes money, person who's seeking money. Um, it's it will become very unmanageable after a while. Right now, I think the court's doing a good job taking care of emergency matters, um, doing the necessary things that can't wait, like domestic abuse situations, uh, criminal arraignments, violation hearings. Um, they're not doing jury trials, obviously. Um, they're not doing evictions right now. So if you're a tenant and you owe money, this is a great time to stop paying your rent for a while because the landlord is hamstrung. Sure. They can't do anything. Everyone is talking about germs, about algae, about mildew. No, I know they're talking about the virus. What about some of the viruses outside your home? As the weather's getting warmer, now is the time. Let's make your property, home or business, look as best it can with Bethel Softwash. Look for them on Facebook, Bethel Softwash. Now, you can text Jared at Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L, Bethel Softwash of Lincoln. Free day, free same day text estimate at 401-617-2585. Text him at 401 617 2585. And what I mean is, if you text Jared, this is what my house looks like. He'll give you a free estimate right there. I'm talking outside your home. I encourage you to visit their Facebook page and you can see the before and after and what a difference it makes. Bethel soft washing is the low pressure system. It won't harm the surface. Low pressure H2O combined with the biodegradable chemical removes those biological elements like uh, algae and uh, mildew and you don't need it the biodegradable plant safe solution wait to see the difference now i tell people go to uh, log on to the facebook page bethel certified softwash bethel softwash and look at the before and after what a difference it makes bethel certified softwash power wash for your home for your business for your walkway for your patio for your deck make your home look beautiful get rid of that mold and algae instead, Bethel Certified Softwash. You can also text Jared at 401-617-2585. Make an appointment, free estimate, 
2585 and look for them on Facebook. It's Bethel Certified Soft Wash. Right in Lincoln, Bethel Certified Soft Wash. Folks, uh, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. Tim, let's touch on uh, the high profile. A couple other things. Now, there's been all this talk about the Mattiello grand jury. And suddenly now, because of the nature of everything happening, that is obviously on hold. But there were, were um, some activity prior to everything being shut down regarding the Brit money laundering trial. And I want to touch on that, a couple of different aspects of it. Witness list, uh, the language from... Uh, Brit's attorney, former U.S. attorney Robert Carenti, is certainly getting more aggressive. And the Boston Globe had an interesting, they had some interesting information. Uh, where Now, this is Team Brit. They claim that last October that Leo Skenyon, the chief of staff from Mattiello, uh, the speaker, he went to Brit and wanted him to sign an affidavit saying that, uh, that, that the speaker... And I believe Leo Skenyon, chief of staff, had no knowledge of what his activities were. Now, the Brit people are saying as a result of that, he refused to sign it and called it a false affidavit. And then shortly after that, Brit was then indicted. Now, the speaker's people are saying, oh, no, we, we went and went, wanted him to sign that because that's the truth. So let's let's uh, dig in a little bit, because now who knows how long this is delayed or how this is going to go. But that was um, pretty explosive. If you didn't have this. It certainly would have dominated. And also some members of the media are on that witness list with Josh Fenton of Go Local Prov and Dan York. And both of them have, uh, I would describe as unusually close relationships with the defendant, Britt, who wants to put them on the stand. And then and also Jeff Britt's husband is on the list and uh, several other people. But let's touch on the the Britt situation. It, it, It becomes more and more curious the way this case is developing. Um, Brit is presented an affidavit which suggests in it that neither the speaker nor Leo Skenyon um, knew about what Brit was up to. Brit says, I won't sign it because it's not true. So now Brit is going to try to use that in the criminal trial um, or criminal pretrial hearings. Um, to say that he was presented with a false affidavit that was prepared by the speaker's people. Speaker saying, well, we drafted it up because we thought it was true. And that will this get into an issue of credibility. When that document was drafted, um, did the speaker's people think it was true? Did they know it was false when they presented it? Um, that gets into a very difficult area of sense impression. What's in somebody's mind? What did they know at the time? I mean, we can all look back on this affidavit um, after a trial or after people testify under oath to say, well, gee, obviously that wasn't true or gee, that really was true. But um, it gets into sense impressions. It gets into what's in somebody's mind. It gets into something what what people knew at the time that that document was drafted. Brit's trying to suggest that the Mattiello people knew it was false at the time it was presented to him, and that's why, or that he read it and knew that it wasn't true. Um, that's going to be a fact determination for the court if this matter ultimately goes to trial. Um, you know, there's a lot of pretrial... Um, 
posturing and um, tactics which both sides are using. For instance, Britt, in presenting his list of potential witnesses, you know, he's got um, Dan York, he's got Josh Fenton, he's got um, Nick Mattiello, he's got Leo, he's got the whole list of potential witnesses. Frank Montanaro? Yes. Now, in a criminal yep. case, when you present the list of witnesses that you intend to call at trial, you give a brief synopsis of what you think the witnesses are going to say. It's your pitch. It's not necessarily reality, but it's what you think the witnesses are going to say. So it makes for a great read when uh, Britt's attorney puts in that, um, for instance, he expects Nick Mattiello to testify about, quote, his knowledge and approval of the Shauna Lawton mailer, his filings with the Board of Elections in connection with the investigation, in which he has denied that his campaign played any role. So basically, they're imputing that Mattiello has knowledge and that Mattiello is going to testify about his knowledge. Now, Mattiello might get up and say, I had no knowledge. So what Britt's attorney has put in there is a proffer, basically, of what they expect will be the testimony. Now, they're giving it their pitch. They're spinning it to their purposes. But just because they say that Nick's going to testify about his knowledge about all these things doesn't mean that Nick actually had the knowledge, doesn't necessarily mean that the court will believe that he had the knowledge, and doesn't necessarily mean that the court will believe the proffer which Britt has put forth, that Nick did have this knowledge. It's a position paper. It doesn't mean it's true. So, you know, it makes for a great headline. Um, and it's put in papers all the time that are submitted to court. But the proof will be in the testimony when it's actually, um, when it's actually um, brought to trial. What Britt has offered is his best spin on what he hopes the witnesses will say. Now, I'm certain that Nick's not going to get up on the stand if this goes to trial and say, oh, yes, I, I knew about all this stuff. That's Britt's position. And it's inconceivable that Nick's testimony would square with Britt's position that he's put in his paperwork pre-trial. Tim, let me ask you a couple of some of its hypotheticals. And again, folks, it's John DePietro. We're speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Um, let's just say Leo Skenyon and the speaker are both prepared to say that, oh, yeah, the two of us, we spoke with Jeff and he said, hey, sorry, this is on me. I know you guys didn't know about it. I apologize. So when we went to ask him to sign that, we, we were just following up on things that he had been telling us. And now that we were getting questioned, we wanted that. Could this be a situation that he wants them to say, oh, they knew what I was up to. And maybe he could even say that he was told to do that or encouraged to do it, what have you. But could this just become uh, the words of almost like a two against one where Leo and Speaker Mattiello were saying, hey, listen, we were the three of us were there. He apologized to us. He said, hey, you know, I, I'm sorry that you jammed up. I know you didn't know about this, blah, blah, blah. And and then it's just Britt insisting they knew what he did because you had said um, that one of the things he's done is he's not denying he did these things. He was just saying that he was other people were instructing him or aware of it. He's just being the fall guy. But could that kind of pan out that way? It, it could. Um, you know, Britt, if he chooses to testify in a criminal proceeding, would say, 
I did these things at the instruction of uh, the speaker or at the instruction of Leo Skenyon or somebody else in the campaign staff. One would presume he's going to say, I was a soldier and I was taking orders and I followed them. You would expect that everyone that Brit's going to claim told him to do A, B, and C will get up on the stand and say, I didn't tell him to do that. He, was, he, he went rogue. He did this on his own. This is his specialty. This is the way he operates. And the court's going to be left to figure out whether um, Britt is telling the truth that others were in on the play and told him to do what he did, or whether the court will conclude that um, Britt was acting rogue and did this all. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Do you need a good plumber? Are you in need of a good plumber? You know, suddenly you have a plumbing emergency? Well, call Victor Quartz today at 401-714-8478. Whether it's problems with your pipes or your drain, repair and maintenance, you can depend on Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland. Family-run business over 20 years. Call Victor Quartz today at Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland, 401-714-8478. Fully licensed and insured, a plumbing service you can depend on. You're in need of a plumber, something wrong, the bathroom, the kitchen, some pipes, a drain, call Quartz Plumbing of Cumberland today, 401-714-8478, 401-714-8478. Family-run business over 20 years, call Victor Quartz at Quartz Plumbing today. of his own initiative to, um, as has been suggested, curry favor and impress the speaker with his, you know, ability to be um, a good tactician and get a good result. So either Brit was acting rogue to impress the speaker or the speaker's people, maybe one, maybe more, maybe none, were in on the play. That's just a question of witness credibility. The one thing I can keep going back to is this whole mess went before the grand jury. And after hearing from all the players, one would presume all the players that were involved in the Mattiello campaign, the only one who was indicted um, was Britt. And they heard from everybody. Right. So if everyone's story right. is consistent, you know, did the grand jury believe the other witnesses um, and conclude that Brit was the only player who did anything criminal in nature. Um, have any of the folks that are involved in this thing been granted any immunity? Um, we don't really know that yet, but you know, it, this plays out in a manner that it still seems to me that there's really no case um, criminally against the speaker. Um, I think there is a case criminally that can be proved against Jeff Britt. Britt's right. theory is I did what the others told me to do. This was a conspiracy. Everyone knew about it and I'm not going to be the fall guy. Well, if the grand jury thought that there was a conspiracy and if the witnesses testified in such a manner that that could be concluded, one would presume the grand jury would have indicted more people than just Britt. But at the end of the day, having heard from everyone, they only indicted Britt. 
Now, is that because other people pled the fifth and they couldn't conclude one way or another uh, the extent of involvement? Or did all these other witnesses go in and testify factually, not um, invoke any Fifth Amendment privilege, and the jury, getting, grand jury having had all the facts, could only conclude Britt's uh, criminal culpability? We don't know that yet. Tim, let's talk about some of the witnesses. And are there some witnesses that sometimes a judge may decide their testimony uh, doesn't fit the case or someone had actually emailed me about how come some of this would not be considered hearsay. And let's take Jeff Britt's husband, for example. So he's apparently married and the husband's expected to testify. Now, if, and, and I don't know, but let's just say a hypothetical where, hey, you know, how was your day? You come home from work. Well, I'm a little upset. They're asking me to do something. And uh, I'm uncomfortable about it. So now it, the person could very well get up and say he came home from work. He seemed upset. He was doing this. He was instructed to do it. But if that person didn't have any contact with Leo Skenyon, say, or the speaker, is it possible that all these different people that Jeff Britt could put a, try to put up on the stand to say, yeah, they, I, they all will get up and say, that they knew I was instructed to do this or I was doing such and such. But isn't it possible that someone who's on the wrong side of the law could be telling people that they were uh, instructed to do something and that could just actually, you know, not be the case. And what's the difference between, I did receive an email from Fred saying, how is much of this not hearsay? A lot of it is hearsay. There are exceptions to the hearsay rule. So let's assume that, um, Britt goes home and says to his husband, oh, my God, you know, the speaker's people pick whoever you want, Nick or Leo or somebody um, for the purposes of our discussion, hypothetically. So, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Um, X on the speaker's staff wants me to do the following. And I'm really uncomfortable with it. But that, that's what X has told me to do. Well, that may not get into evidence because it's certainly hearsay. Um, as far as what Britt tells his husband that a third person told him, that will get into a very contentious hearsay fight. It will be difficult for um, the husband to testify as to what Britt allegedly conveyed that another person told Britt and Britt communicates to the spouse, his husband, um, there will be very difficult issues for the Britt team in getting that type of material into evidence um, because that's not a statement that can be readily cross-examined. So it'll be difficult for much of that testimony to get in. Tim, Jeff, Jeff Britt has been arrested several times, uh, and it's public. Uh, it's been written about in the past. Uh, anyone that Googles him and so forth. Um, could Someone had also asked me a while ago, I don't remember who, but is that something that could be brought out at trial, um, or would that only happen if he took only the stand? happens if he takes the stand. If he chooses not to testify, none of that material comes in. If he chooses to testify then the prosecution can utilize his criminal record in certain circumstances um, to impugn his credibility. The fact that you are arrested cannot be used to, on cross-examination. 
only guilty pleas or convictions can be utilized. So let's assume an individual is arrested 10 times. And on each of the 10 occasions, the charges are dropped or the person goes to trial and is found not guilty. The fact of the arrest could not be utilized at trial to impugn the, um, the defendant's credibility. Only dispositions of either a conviction or a plea, and only certain types of pleas. Let's assume that you plead um, nola contendere and your case is filed for a year. And after a year, your case is you know, physically destroyed. Um, that type of a plea cannot be utilized. Um, there's a very limited menu of criminal dispositions that the prosecution can utilize to impugn the credibility of the defendant or any witness for that matter. Um, it's a very limited ability to utilize um, past criminal conduct for impeachment purposes. Tim, how do you think, and again, folks, it's John DePietro speaking with attorney Tim Dodd right now on this uh, upcoming at some point, Jeff Britt uh, criminal money laundering trial. Tim, how do you think the attorney general's office would treat um, Dan York, who had, he's very, very close with Britt. He was the one that had this exclusive interview with Shauna Lawton uh, set up through Britt and um, through, I think also she was on his television show as well. And then you have the Josh Fenton, another one, um, and, and the Brit slash Mattiello. They were spending a lot of money with Fenton during the course of the campaign. It, more than just a regular, you know, this isn't Tim White getting up saying he covered it. They, they, these relationships were far more intertwined. How do you think the attorney general would treat those witnesses? Would they maybe try to have them take a, uh, go to a deposition beforehand so they know what they're going to say? Would they try to, um, how would they treat the, the media witnesses in this? Well, I think you've experienced it personally, but anyone who is in the media, it's, it's a very um, tricky situation. If Shauna Lawton simply says, yeah, I'll come on your air, and she goes on with Mr. York and talks about um, the situation, um, the fact that Dan York might have had a pre-interview and she might have discussed what she was willing to talk about and what she wasn't willing to talk about um, may not be protected. Typically, you know, a journalist can protect their sources, um, how they go about their investigation, how they learn certain information. They can um, invoke a privilege against testifying they can also be held in contempt and sent to prison until they rethink whether they want to protect their source. Um, witnesses such as Shauna Lawton could be given immunity, which might make whatever she discussed with Dan York, or let me say York's testimony, perhaps less relevant. The attorney general can um, get testimony from people if they choose to give uh, folks immunity from prosecution. Um, that's a potent weapon, which then um, deprives somebody of the saying, I'm not going to testify. Journalists, reporters are in a different category. Um, now, Dan York is a talk show host. He's ostensibly not a journalist. He's ostensibly getting material to go on the radio and talk about. So will he have the same privilege as um, 
a reporter per se. You know, Jim Taracani back in the day got jammed up. He was an investigative reporter and he was put yep. on the hot seat during the Cianci trial. Um, is Dan York wearing the same hat as an investigative journalist? Um, that would be a real interesting question. Well, let's, let's remember, let's remember why Brit would be calling them. It's the way to, to try to back up that Skenyon was in on it. So it certainly sounds more the way I understand it of, you know, encountering the two of them. I would imagine the two of them, it's, this is focused on whether or not they can back up that the speaker and or Skenyon at least knew of his activities. So if, if, if uh, Shauna Lawton shows up at the Channel 12 studios with Leo Skenyon and Jeff Britt, um, could York then say, you know, that that's what it would be focused on. And what about uh, getting back to now Fenton? Um, Tim, with the attorney general, they, they want to, how do they want to treat a Josh Fenton of Go Local as far as Britt is trying to say, Leo knew what was going on. So that seems to be the heart of it because the, the Terracani thing, it seems to be more that these things were being arranged through Brit is what I'm trying to say. This isn't Sean Lawton picks up the phone. This all seems to come back to uh, Leo Skenyon if he knew or was maybe with Brit at the time. Yes. And we don't really know what Leo is going to say or what um, um, Dan York is going to, what words Leo will put into um, Leo's mouth or anyone else. I would, predict that um, Dan York's going to testify in a manner sympathetic to Brit and sympathetic to um, Brit's position. Um, Dan York's going to be careful because if not that he's picking a side, but if his testimony favors Brit and he starts uh, testifying about conversations he had with Leo or with the speaker or other people, um, He's going to be radioactive in terms of getting information from people in the future. Who's going to want to talk to him? Right. That's a real difficult position for any media person to be in if they're obligated, you know, under the threat of incarceration to testify that they can't refuse to testify. Um, One would presume that his testimony is going to be favorable to Brit. If it's favorable to, favorable to Brit, one would presume it's going to be unfavorable to Leo or to Montanaro or the Speaker or other folks within the campaign. Um, Dan York's in a real tight spot. Um, I'm not sure what he's willing to say or whether he's willing t- uh, to risk um, incarceration if he doesn't testify i think he wants to testify on brit's behalf but you know careful what you wish for right and that's right and the thing that actually that threatens you even more uh is the fines because they can you know keep in mind terracani was fined a thousand dollars a day uh nbc at the time they were willing to pay it uh when i was subpoenaed in the cnc thing we looked at that i was not a Afraid of the ACI, but the thought of a thousand dollar a day and would the radio station stay with me? That that's a deciding thing. Um, we're going to leave it at that, folks. He is our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job. Thanks, John. Take care.